Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Hello everybody, I'm Hattie, um, and everybody on Zoom, if you don't know me, I go to the service regularly. Ramsey's my husband. Um, and yeah, it's an absolute privilege to be able to share with you guys today, um, even in the light of Tier 4. I know it's difficult, but I'm just really grateful that I get to be here today with you. So when I found out I was preaching today, I thought we were going to be facing slightly different circumstances. I feel like these new restrictions have kind of come out of nowhere. They blindsided me a little bit. I thought, I thought we were going to be able to spend Christmas um, with a few more people. And when I was asking God what he might want to share through me today, I felt him talk about comfort and that comfort was what he wanted me to share. And now, in the light of what was announced yesterday, I can see why he told me that. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I thought that we might be out of lockdown by last summer. I thought that definitely by Christmas we were going to be able to spend time in bigger groups. Um, one thing that I'm really going to miss about not spending time with lots of family over Christmas is making my annual gingerbread house with my siblings. <laughs> These are some of the uh, creations that we've made over the year, everyone from a different year. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, for me personally, I'm really sad that I won't get to do that with my siblings this year. And I'm sure all of us have these little traditions that we have that have been robbed from us, and it's really unfair. A quick Google of the, uh, of the word comfort brings up a definition of the easing or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress. And man, we are in distress. <laughs> COVID is deeply distressing. It's changed a lot about our lives. And whenever there's change, there's grief. A loss of something that was, that no longer is. And the greater and more established the thing was, the greater loss and the greater grief we're going to feel. So yes, we have permission to be very sad about Christmas restrictions. Because Christmas is a really important part of the calendar for lots of us in the West. There are traditions and rituals around it. There are nativity plays, carols, the whole country changes what it looks like. And we listen to the same music on repeat in December. We eat the same foods, we watch the same films. Christmas is a very nostalgic and comforting time for a lot of us. I do also realize that Christmas can be a difficult time. When I first met Ramsey, actually, it was around Christmas time in 2015. And I said off the cuff to him, oh, are you looking forward to your Christmas? And he said, Kind of, but actually my dad died this time last year and so Christmas is now tainted with a lot of sadness, whereas before it was full of joy. So I know it's not always the most glimmering time of year as it is for some people, but there is something so solid and so firm and so unwavering about Christmas that we cling onto it in the midst of this crazy and awkward and painful thing that we call life. It's a respite from normal life, just for a few days. Lots of us have been robbed of this, this Christmas. But I'm here today to remind us that we're not without hope. We're not without hope. Because behind the tinsel and the trees and the mince pies and the mulled wine, there's a heart of Christmas 
that has been slightly obscured from view. I want to remind us all that Christmas is still comforting, whether we're in lockdown or not. Not because of nostalgia and lots of yummy food, but because at the heart of it, Christmas is about Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Every Christmas, we celebrate and thank God for his coming down to earth as a person. It shows us that unlike some far off and distant God who knows nothing of what it's actually like to be in a human body, our God knows exactly what it's like. Christmas is about the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, as John 1.14 says. And the word is Jesus. And because God humbled himself to take on human form, we know that we can come to God with our everything, and especially our sadness, because Jesus really was acquainted with sadness. He was a man of suffering and pain. He knew what loneliness and isolation felt like when he was hanging on the cross. He knew exactly what it felt like to be let down every time his disciples disowned him or lied about knowing him. The Bible is actually one of the best places that we can go to truly lament and to see what lament really is actually all about. Ultimately, Jesus was an innocent man who did nothing wrong and who suffered and died a criminal's death. And he took upon himself the punishment that should have been ours. This means that God is not absent in our suffering. In fact, the exact opposite is true. He's deeply, deeply involved in it, which means that he's available and able to comfort us through it. Unlike all of the Christmassy stuff that can offer a certain comfort, God's comfort can never be taken away from us. And furthermore, the comfort that God offers isn't a false sense of security type comfort. I sometimes find myself saying to people and people saying to me, oh, this year's not been great, but, you know, we're going to come through it and we're going to come out the other side and everything will go back to how it was. This might be true in some senses. We will come out the other end of this. But it also doesn't quite accurately reflect the seriousness of the pain that is going on right now, like what's immediately going on in front of us. Life is really hard. Life sucks right now, and we can't diminish that. We don't get to spend time with whoever we want to this Christmas, doing whatever we want to. We're experiencing a new way of life that the liberal West hasn't had to face in over 50 years. But instead of just shrugging it off and trying to wish 2020 away to get back to how things were, wouldn't it be amazing if we could thrive regardless of our circumstances? And this is where we see the true beauty of Jesus burst through. Because all the other types of comfort on offer out there tend to fall under the umbrella of distraction. Are you feeling low? Here's a nice film to take your mind off it. Are you feeling stressed? Here's a bag of cookies to give you a little pick-me-up. Are you feeling sad? Quick, why don't you just buy something and then you'll feel better for a few days, maybe. All of this stuff, it is good stuff. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy those things. I enjoy those things on a regular basis. But all of this just, seeks, um, just serves to suppress and avoid pain. It doesn't actually deal with the source of the pain or help us move out of it or through it. 
God, on the other hand, doesn't ever try and distract us from reality or from pain. God is able to comfort us through reality and pain by changing our perspective on the difficulty instead. The Apostle Paul understood this very well. In Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We are desperately in need of comfort and contentment right now. At this time, but all the time actually. And for some people, the idea that God brings comfort can be a source of religious suspicion. Marx thought that religion was just a nice get-out clause for oppressed and desperate people. And he famously said that religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions. It's the opium of the people. But this isn't a legitimate claim, not least because people who believe in God aren't the only people who seek comfort. Everyone seeks comfort in a heartless world. The question is not, if you seek comfort, it's where you seek it. Bruce Sterling, who is a science fiction writer, said, if religion is the opiate of the people, then immersive multiplayer 3D virtual worlds are hardcore Afghani heroin. So then I guess the question is, how do you access the kind of comfort that Paul is referring to? That contentment in any and every circumstance. The scripture that Ramsey so beautifully read out at the beginning from Isaiah 9 said that there were people who were in gloom and darkness and they looked to God who promised to give them a great light. And what was the source of that light? It was a baby born to them, to us. A son who would carry the government on his shoulders and under whose rule there would be no end to peace. That baby born to us is Jesus and he's given names like Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. It's easy to rush through this very well-known passage, but just listen to those descriptions again. Let them sink in a little bit. The one who was sent at Christmas is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. An everlasting father and also the prince of peace. These four phrases all bound up into one make the most incredible being that I could ever hope to meet. Because if he was just a wonderful counselor, we might make the mistake of assuming that he's a little bit meek, a little bit feeble, and not really able to do much about our pain and our suffering. But on the other hand, if he's just a mighty God, then we might make the mistake of assuming that maybe he doesn't really care about me and my pain and my suffering. Maybe he's just out there somewhere distant and remote. But our God, the God of Christmas, Jesus is the God of all four of those things together. The most pastoral and caring and gentle father who also happens to be the mighty God of the universe who created everything. The closest analogy that I can get to 
to wrap my head around this, should come up um, on the screen, is a picture of JFK, the 35th president of the United States of America, with his little son just playing by his feet. And for me, looking at this picture, it helps me understand a fraction of the position that we hold as children of God. If JFK is, represents the most powerful being in the world, then JFK's son can rest easy knowing that his father loves him, cares about him, and also has an enormous amount of power to protect him and look after him. And that's us, but only a tiny, tiny fraction if God is our father. So yeah, I remember coming to this point in my faith where I was really asking how I could actually experience what having God as a loving Heavenly Father means. I sort of understood it academically. I read it in the Bible. It says, God loves you. God's powerful. And I was like, okay. But I wasn't really feeling any change. I remember listening to this um, perspective-shifting talk. And it was all about the difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. So take my relationship with my husband, for example. If I read all of the documentation of Ramsey's life, I could read his birth certificate, his medical history, his school reports, his university transcripts, his journals. I could find out quite a lot about him. I could make a decision on whether I liked him or not. But learning a lot about Ramsey on paper is nothing compared to actually meeting and experiencing the one and only Ramsey Al-Khazan in real life. Am I right? I know I'm right. <laughs> the same goes for God. I can read and reread and dissect the Bible till I'm blue in the face. I can read it in the original Greek. I can read it in the Hebrew. I can memorize verses and chapters of it. And yet, if academic knowledge is all I'm ever going to take in, I've missed the whole point of the Bible. The Bible is here to introduce us to the author. It's not a rule book. It's not a textbook. It's not an exercise book. It's not a science book. It's a storybook of how people through the ages have experienced God for themselves. And it's an invitation for us to experience God for ourselves and receive the lasting comfort that his presence brings. So after listening to this talk that I just referenced, I remember asking my housemate how she got to know God personally and intimately. I was kind of hoping that she'd share some secret, complicated formula that once you've cracked it, you've, you've nailed it for life. But she didn't. She just looked at me and said, when I want to meet with God, I turn off the lights and sit in silence. I was like, what? That's not an answer. You can't, that's not all you can give me. Surely that sounds incredibly vague and uncertain and I don't think that you're right. <laughs> but I gave it a go. And in a very non-spectacular way, I did meet with God. There wasn't a burning bush. There was no loud voice booming out of the cupboard. But there was also nothing for me to hide behind. There was no singing. I love singing. There was no singing. There were no long wordy prayers. There were no three hour long Bible studies to get me into God's good books first. It was just me sitting by myself, asking God to come and say hello. And this is what I come back to time and time again to recenter. And it's what I've spent so much time doing this year in the midst of all of the craziness and the change and the turmoil. There's time for all of the other good stuff, the singing, the praying, the Bible. But something that I'm going to take with me all my life 
are these moments of quietness and nothingness. Because that's when God can actually speak to me personally, speak to my heart, because he knows exactly what's going on in there and he knows what I need to hear. When I'm doing nothing and yet receiving God's delight in me, when I reset and recenter myself in his grace and his love to remind myself that I am not what I do, I'm not what I achieve, I simply am. And that is enough. The last few weeks for me at my work, I'm a conference producer, have been really tough. I've been working on a project that I found very difficult and it's just felt like this completely unscalable mountain that I'm never gonna climb. But in the midst of this, this is why I fought so incredibly hard to get time with God. Because I actually know that he has a much clearer perspective of my life and my experiences than I do. Whereas I just see little me facing a big battle that I'm scared of losing, God sees a child that he adores and loves, who he wants to encourage and equip and coach. He sees a battle that is in control, not out of control, as I fear. And he knows what I need to do to remember to not lose heart. He wants me to trust that when I'm at my weakest is when his strength can work most powerfully in and through me. God can look at the problems we're facing with us and rather than shrug his shoulders and just point us towards Netflix and tell us to go and distract the pain away, he can whisper in our ear and completely shift our perspective. He can coach us through our mess and our pain, our anger and our insecurity. Whatever baggage we're laden with, God wants to walk through it with us and ultimately he wants to take it away from us but we have got to let him coach us. The only way to do this is to pursue his presence and to spend time with him, to get to know him. We have to hear him speak to us and trust him when he says things in the Bible like, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And especially on days like today where our hopes are dashed and we feel down and deflated. We have to learn how to tune into God's radio station, as it were. Because the more we do it, the easier it becomes. It's like trying a new machine at the gym. At first it can feel painful and uncomfortable. Our muscles aren't quite used to it. But as we practice it and become used to it, what once was hard is suddenly very easy. I practice presence with God so that next time I'm at work and I find myself in a difficult situation that I don't know what to do, I can quickly turn around my insecurity and work out of a sense of confidence instead. And so that, mums, next time your two-year-old is screaming in the middle of the supermarket, Holy Spirit can quickly and easily come into your heart and give you the patience that you want to display instead of frustration and anger. If we cultivate familiarity with God, it makes God's work of transformation in us much easier. We don't have to be the finished, perfect article before we come to God. We just have to be willing and open to change. We also have to stop seeking comfort purely in material things and distractions. Like I said before, I'm not saying that we can't ever seek comfort in films or food or anything like that. I do it all the time. They're amazing and wonderful gifts. 
but they can't fully satisfy our desire to be comforted. There's a deeper desire in us that can be that can't be satisfied by anything physical or material. Just as C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We're created for God. We're created to receive comfort from God, guidance from God. We're created to experience his presence. So we have to make sure that as well as all of the lovely, comforting, distracting stuff, we also spend time with him and allow him to speak to us intimately and personally. I know that Christmas is going to be a very different experience this year than it ever has been before. But what if this Christmas we really reconnected with the whole reason that Christmas is here in the first place? And we reconnected with why Christmas is the most comforting time of the year. Not because it's nostalgic or cosy or magical or full of lights, but because it's full of God's presence. What if instead of writing this Christmas off as a non-year because we couldn't celebrate it with whoever we wanted to, instead we took time to experience the person that Christmas is all about? I guarantee that his company is the best you could ever ask for. He's everything you could want from a companion. Kind, generous, so interested in you, who you are individually. He's funny, he's totally at ease. He's a creative genius, he's optimistic, he's realistic, he's wise. These are some of the facets of God that I've been learning about this year and that I love about him most. But I, I really want to know what the facets of God are that you guys love as well. I want it to become the norm for us to share with each other at church who God has been for us this week. Has he been the strong and powerful lion who's protected you? Has he been the meek lamb who's comforted you when you're crying, lying in bed, feeling lonely? Whatever it is, I'd love us to start sharing testimonies. And also, I think that I'd love us to just take two minutes now to do a little bit of what I learned to do at the beginning, which is just to sit in total silence and to ask God to just come into our hearts. We're not going to have any music or any distractions. The band can come up in two or three minutes' time when they, whenever they feel ready. But just sit here, us and God, and open up your hearts to him. Invite him in. Let him know that he's really welcome in your heart and ask him to just coach you in what it feels like to have his presence in you and ask him to show you what his comfort really means and what it feels like. If you're here for the first time or if you don't often come to church and this is all very new for you, don't worry, you don't have to do anything special. Just enjoy a few minutes of silence to reflect and meditate a little bit, just to give our mind some space and let it breathe. Enjoy. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.